Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Connor Glassy, I'm John Manuel. Thank you so much for downloading us, whether it's on iTunes or at BaseballAmerica.com. And we want to remind everybody that we have our uh, first edition of the Baseball America show, which will come on every Sunday night on XM Sirius, or Sirius XM Radio. I believe the new channel is Channel 89 as opposed to Channel 175. It's MLB Network Radio, home plate station. And uh, we're very excited about it. JJ and I will be on there this Sunday. Uh, which is May 8th, Mother's Day. So we'll celebrate uh, uh, with our wives and then uh, go away from them to work that evening <laughs> and take your calls at uh, 1-866-MLB-ON-XM. It's very exciting. Uh, this show has been in the works for several years, and uh, we're just really glad that it's going to be a reality on Sunday. So uh, looking forward to that. We have our MLB Network offer that you can sign up for. Uh, from for it's a must for Baseball America fans. If you aren't already subscribing to the print edition, four issues for four bucks. BaseballAmerica.com/slash/MLBNetwork for the special offer. And we want to remind you that if you subscribe to the print edition, you get the online edition. You can even sign up for the digital edition. So uh, it's Baseball America all up in your face in many different ways. So, uh, but Connor's here. We're here to talk a little draft. Uh, actually, here to talk a lot of draft, Connor. We're both uh, knee deep in draft calls. Probably even not even as deep as we want to be. Right. You know, we probably <laughs> both want to be deeper in draft calls. Um, but there's been a lot of action uh, on our website, on the draft tracker, on uh, air, on the draft blog. Uh, let's let's just jump right into the top of the draft because the the hardcore draft nicks like to talk about the top of the draft. Um, I think it's fair to say, Connor, that our top three guys coming into the year have not had the seasons that everyone in the, in the industry hoped they'd have. Yeah. Anthony Rendon, Matt Perk, Garrett Cole um, were our top three guys. It was Rendon, Cole, Perk. And Perk and Rendon have had injury issues, and Cole's given up 18 runs in his last 18 and two-thirds innings. So um, the top of the draft, it seems like it's been shaken up. Those, those first ten picks, if, if they happened on this coming Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, instead of a month from now, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, They'd be a lot different, I think, than, the, than what they could be. There's a lot of uh, – it's pretty unsettled at the top of the draft, even a month out, isn't it? It is pretty unsettled, and that's kind of the weird thing is that usually, you know, when there's a month to go, it's – you know, the, domino, the dominoes are starting to fall, and you kind of have a sense for who's going to go one, you know, who's probably going to go two, and you can kind of start to project out a little bit and, you know, go, okay, well, who's going to go five, six, seven – Right now, you know, because the draft is so deep, because there's so many guys that, I mean, I don't know, how many guys do you think in this year's draft could go number one overall in other years? I mean, there's there's got to be five or six of those guys. Yeah, you you've, know? Got, you've actually got a legitimate high school right-hander who there's never had a high school right-hander that could go 1-1, and you've got a guy in Dylan Bundy who's thrown in the upper 90s and who yep. has bloodlines. He's got a dad who's in the game. He's got a brother who's in pro ball. He's, I guess... If he was only maybe a little bit more physical, like a little taller, he'd almost be like the ideal. But Josh Beckett went second overall. Bill Gullickson went second overall. I'm sure there's been another high school right-hander here. You know, Jameson Tyone went second overall last year. But Dylan Bundy seems like, I don't know, I don't think the Pirates are the kind of organization that would pop Dylan Bundy 1-1. But, I mean, they've got to be considering him. He's yeah. been so good this spring. You've got a five-tool guy in Bubba Starling yep. who I just want to remind people um, – I'm sure we self-promote. It's a, kind of a self-promoting world we're in. I, I don't think you are very comfortable self-promoting, but I'm going to promote you and Nathan <laughs> because last year's at the, at the, in the last summer, the high school class was not clear who the number one guy was going to be. There wasn't a consensus. Could have been Daniel Norris. Could have been Francisco Lindor. 
could have been some other guys. But you guys went out on a limb and went Bubba Starling. And even with our um, preseason All-America balloting and all our preseason draft information gathering, the the sense from that was that Bubba Starling was not the industry number one. The consensus was who at that time when we got our votes back? It was, was it Norris. Nor- yeah, Norris. Norris and, was and the Lindor guy. was in we that were, mix, Those were the two not? guys we were we were kind of you know battling with and trying to figure out who to put number one. And um, yeah, we did. We did. And we go loved with Daniel Norris, obviously. Yeah, you guys went all the way. You guys just drove all the way to Tennessee for eight hours last week to see him, and then came back at three in the morning. And uh, you know, Dan- Daniel Norris is. A stud. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like we were a little light on him at our midseason update even. But Bubba Starling had this injury issue and missed some games in Nebraska, and it just sounds like he had just been blowing people's doors off. And by people, I mean the industry, scouts, evaluators, doors off. (coughs) And he sounds like he's the number one high school talent, and you guys were ahead of the curve, and I think you guys deserve the credit for that. I mean, just – war at BA High School and at Connor Glassy. (laughs) You know, I just think (laughs) it's awesome that you guys – that he's living up to the hype. I, I, it makes me happy. Yeah, it makes me happy too. I mean, but you know, we'll see. And and you know, the the high school class is loaded, so they're, you know, we could have gone a bunch of different ways and and still ended up looking pretty smart. But um, I, I love Bubba Starling. I really enjoyed watching him this summer, and I'm gonna. It's gonna be fun to see what he does. You know, the next few months and next se- several years. Now he's a legit one-one talent. He is. Garrett Cole's a legit one-one talent. Do you think Francisco Lindor? Is he a legit 1-1 talent, or is the bat maybe a little shy for that? I, um, for me, it feels like his bat's a little shy to be a legit 1-1. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he, he'd be a legit 1-1 talent. I mean, doesn't mean he'd be a bad pick. No, he could be a good pick. He's pretty safe. I think he's, he's a, he looks like a big league shortstop. He sounds like a big league shortstop. He's definitely like, a legit, you know, top five talent. For no sure. doubt. And uh, but you know, at 1-1, I think you know you're looking for a, a superstar. You want you know, you want an ace pitcher. You want, you know, a middle of the order bat at an up the middle position, and um, you, you know, like a three four bat. And right. Lindor, I think, is more of like the prototypical leadoff or number two guy, um, and that's really good. I mean, you know, Lindor can play shortstop. He's smooth out there. He has a really great arm, um, and he can hit from both sides of the plate. The power, I, I think, is the power has been kind of a weird question because. You know, some people are saying, I, I think his power is getting a little bit overblown. I agree. And and the reason I think that's happening is, I mean, he won the, the Aflac home run derby, but, um, you know, he has strength. He has, you know, a quick bat, and he has some strength in his, his forearms and wrists, and he can he can get around on the ball and drive it out of the ballpark. But it's a, it's a they're line drive home runs. They're not, you know, huge He's not backspinning the ball, yeah. Not gotcha. dropping bombs. Too bad, Nathan. We could not figure out a third uh, uh, headset here, um, mainly because we don't have one. <laughs> but uh, we couldn't figure out a third headset to get Nathan in on this uh, podcast, or else he'd be very happy about the bomb dropping. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I mean he's he does a lot of things really, really well. But I, I just don't see him as a guy that you would want to take first overall. That's kind of how I see it. Anthony Rendon and Matt Perk, I think, are one-one talents. I mean, yep. I think Matt Perk. He dominated college baseball when the bats were hotter as a freshman. And this year he's had some injury issues and just hasn't. You know, I think this is a common thing. You tell me if you're running into this with the scouts you've talked to, uh, yeah, Connor, that guys who did not throw in the fall or the summer had a hard time getting going this spring. I've run into that a lot with guys this year. Um, I'm trying to think of the specific guys in the southeast I ran into this with. But 
So like Matt Perk is one of those one of those guys who did he pitched a heavy workload for TCU last year. Not too heavy of a workload, but he went from high school, which is very different, to being the number one guy on a College World Series team, and he pitched deep into June. And so from February to June, he was going hard. That's you push that back two months. That's close to a big league workload. That's like a April to the end of August workload. That that's your minor league season basically. Mm-hmm. So he pitched about as much as any minor league pitcher is going to do. Granted, it was once a week, but he shouldered a heavy burden, you know, t- carried that team, and he took the summer off, and then I think he took a lot of the fall off. It just seemed like he wasn't ready for this season. He just wasn't uh, able to uh, physically do that again uh, for whatever reason. Anthony Rendon has had this, this shoulder injury this year, but to me, Perk and Cole were first-round picks out of high school who've had a lot of success in college. Uh, those guys are let's natural one-one guys, college pitchers with big-time stuff and some polish. Right. Um, and Rendon, I mean, talking about kind of like a hybrid David Wright, Ryan Zimmerman kind of third baseman here. So, uh, so we're talking about impact you want at a at, at the one-one pick. Yeah. That maybe might not be there for Francisco Lindor. It's there with Anthony Rendon. Which do you? I mean, if you had the pick right now, we're a month out. Obviously, we're not scouts. We don't have the resources these clubs have, but. We do have an informed take on this. If you had that one-one pick, which direction would you go in, Connor? Yeah, I, I'm still sticking with Rendon. Um, <clears throat> I I always tend to kind of give the edge to position players. Yep, that's fair. Um, and you know, I I just don't think that his his injuries are going to be you know a long-term concern. I think a lot of them have been fluky, and I think that Rice is just really really being precautionary, you know, with him right now. Um, and he just does so many things easily. I mean, I, I had the chance to, to go out and see him at ECU, and it was just, I was just amazed at how easy his swing was and how far the ball went. It, right. You know, a lot of times you see these guys really muscle up to try to hit the home runs, especially with the new bats this year. And he was just just fluid, and just it looked like an, if a normal guy took that swing, it looked like it would be just like a little line drive into center field. And it, this ball was flying you know, way over the the wall in left field, and just his ability to to get that easy loft and and that backspin really impressed me. And then you know, I didn't get to see him play defense, but I've heard it's it's really phenomenal over there. So when he was healthy last year, the defense was special. I mean, yeah. guys talk about his defense almost the same way they talked about Ryan Zimmerman's defense. Yeah. And like you said, I think the only reason I don't compare him to Zimmerman is that physically he's just not that big. I think Wright is the better comp because you're starting a comparison with physicality, and he's six feet tall. And like 180, 190 pounds, and that's David Wright when he was coming out of high school. You know, similar age. David Wright's certainly thicker. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like Zimmerman's like six three, two twenty five. I mean, he's yeah. a big dude. Yes. Um, you know, those other third basemen we're talking about, a lot of those guys, Scott Rowland, six four, two forty. Yeah. You know, Anthony Rendon just is not that big. He's not that physical. That's the only question I have. It's going to be challenging to get medical information on Anthony Rendon's shoulder. Period. Yeah. It just it's just going to be difficult and. uh that's the challenge the Pittsburgh Pirates have, and that's uh, not one I envy. But right. it is their challenge. Yeah, and neither do I. And, and it's easier to sit here and say that that would exactly. be the pick I'd make, right? You know, and you don't have to deal with those sort of things. But um, but I'm with you. I, if 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 I if I if I don't think he's got long term issues, I think uh, with the shoulder, I think Anthony Rendon is is where I go there. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast with John and Connor. Um, let's talk a little bit about these questions we have from an old friend Joe Lacate. You still haven't met Joe in person, have you? I've tried three times. We, we've had, uh, <laughs> you know, 
situations where we've been trying to meet up and he was PA trying to come down to TOS. But that's okay. Last he's like year a, and he's like a legit stalker. It's gonna happen. Yeah, it's gonna happen one of these days. More about more like b intense BA fan. I play in a fantasy league with him. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I sort of am in a fantasy league with you, but I'm, I'm not paying as much attention <laughs> to my team as I need to. Um, Joe asks, in terms of upside and scarcity, could Bundy be the best player in this draft? Any shot at one one? I I don't know that you can call it scarcity for right-handed power arms. For yeah, me. Dylan Bundy. I don't think scarcity and high school right-hander go in the same category, especially yeah. in this draft. There's just so much velocity. Yeah, there, there's so much velocity. I mean, every rock you un uncover, there's a guy throwing 95, it seems like. I mean, I mean, like I was talking with Jim last night. about. Uh, uh, we got emails about Corey Mazzoni. And uh, you know, Jim was like, he was trying to place Corey Mazzoni. And I said, yeah, I mean, I think in last year, I think Corey Mazzoni, the NC State right-hander, who's had pretty good results this year, he's kind of a, gr a grinder Friday night guy. He hasn't been dominant, but he's got good velocity. He's got a good arm. He's been consistent for three years as far as he competes. Mm -hmm. I think there's some refinements he needs to make. But, you know, Corey Mazzoni is just a guy this year. I mean, last year in the shallow college pitcher talent pool, he might have been a second to fourth round guy. I can't see that happening this year. Can you, Kyle? I mean, just for a guy like that, because there's just so much velo. Yeah, I think those, those kind of guys are getting pushed, you know, third to fifth, fourth to sixth, you know, push back a little bit just because it is so deep. I mean, Guerrero, Taylor Guerrero, he jumped to the forefront because he showed some seven and eights. Yeah. But, I mean, that's not as hard as Dylan Bundy's throwing. Uh, right. That's not as hard as Garrett Cole throws. Yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of velo. Out there's there. a, you know, he, you know, Joe asked, is it scarcity because he's the number one starting pitcher? But I think there's a handful of, you know, top number one, number two kind of guys out there. We haven't even mentioned Danny Holton and Jed Bradley. Yeah. I mean, look at the left-handers in this draft. The college left-handers last year had Drew Pomerantz, maybe a couple other guys. But just you just wrote the feature on the Pacific Northwest left-handers, Tyler Anderson, Ryan Carpenter, Josh Osich, who after your article threw a no-hitter. Yeah. Uh, who else was in that Adam group? Conley. Adam Conley, yeah. who's got big-time arm strength, probably a bullpen guy, but uh, definitely a guy. Like a a better version of Matt Way, Washington State left-hander, fastball changeup, basically, right? Yeah. Um, which is a lot better version of Matt Way. A lot no better, Matt Way. A lot way, a lot better, but fat, but like Matt Way, short of breaking ball. Yeah. Um, it's just the repertoire similar, but a lot better arm strength. Uh, and then in the Southeast, we're talking about some left-handers: Grayson Garvin at Vanderbilt, uh, Sean Gilmartin at Florida State is going to do better than I think a lot of people think. Um, Adam Morgan at Alabama. I keep on forgetting. There's a, there's the fourth tenor. There's somebody else in that group, but I keep who I keep forgetting. Um, we get two guys actually at Ole Miss who are, I think, more six to ten, five to ten guys. Matt Krause and and uh, I forget the other guy's name. You got a lot of left-handers just in this college in the southeast. So there's a lot of left-handed pitching. Mm -hmm. I think in this draft, college lefties, um, and we talked about Matt Perk, uh, kind of at the top of that list. So um, there's just not a lot of scarcity really anywhere in this draft except for up the middle, catcher. Yeah. And maybe middle infielders, but that's why Lindor gets talked about. That's why people like Javier Baez. College bats in general are a little, little down. I think but I think they almost always are. I think yeah. 2005 and 2008 are the exceptions, and that's why those draft classes stick out so much as you have college bats. Because the industry does a really good job. You know, area scouts talk about, I've had this discussion a lot over the years, they talk about how the most difficult part of their job is to evaluate amateur hitters with metal bats and project that, project an 18-year-old hitting with metal, he doesn't have his man strength, and he doesn't have a wood bat, and you're projecting that four to six years down the road, and what is that guy going to be? That's their hardest job. They're pretty doggone good at it. Yeah. Because most of the time, they get the best hitters out of high school. They don't get them out of college. I mean, that's, that's a great I mean, point. I, I, so I think the industry talks about that challenge, 
and it's very inexact. And a lot of statistical analysts over the last ten years, I mean, Rob Meyer still takes this, you know, still talks about this. Where like, oh, you know, one day there might not even be a need for scouts. Give me a break. I mean, these guys, the the, the way the industry evaluates amateur hitters, which is really, I think, truly the toughest part of their job. I think that every year when the draft is shy of college bats, the reason why, because the industry did its job three years previously. Yep. They got the best bats out of high school. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Connor. John's obviously over-caffeinated. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I mean, I'm obviously just uh, ridiculously geeked, and it's not even about the draft. I'm, it's, I'm just I, it, almost 15 years in, I still really like my job. It's fun. Um, uh, thoughts on the best tools in the draft, high school and college, Joe asks. Uh, Connor, we got a, you know, uh, it, it seems like the, the it seems like the one thing that I am not finding is great defensive players in this draft. Is there a stud defender in the West uh, that sticks out? And that's kind of an out of left field mm. question. Um, is there anybody? Well, else? You, you're Austin doing... Hedges is a stud defender. Okay, I mean he's a high school catcher and he is just amazing with the glove. Uh, he receives the ball very well. He blocks well. And his arm is, I mean, it's at least a 70 arm. Nice. It, it's just a cannon. Um, the question with him is how much he's going to hit. I think, you know, scouts are a little concerned that he's, you know, just not strong enough to hit the ball to all fields and just uh, maybe isn't isn't seeing the ball real well right now. And So there, there's a lot of questions about his hitting. No one questions how well he defends. He's, he's just a, a rock back there. I mean, he's... He's what you want in a catcher. Um, looks like a, a pro guy right now, and that's a big credit for that goes to his high school coach Brett K, who caught at Fullerton. And, nice, you know, is his Brett K reference done done well with Austin Hedges, um, old Titan. Uh, I like the old Titans like that. Yeah, that's my era of Titans. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> gets me excited. But you know, it sounds like um, you know he he wants a lot of money, and then he should because. He can catch and throw as, as right. well as anybody, and he's got a uh, you know commitment to UCLA, which is worth a lot of money. And but I I bet that he'll go to UCLA, and you know you're going to be raving about him in a few years. Oh, nice! Yeah. Uh, could he handle Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer? Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, he could. Yes, he could. Uh, that that's a that's a good that, uh, that's a good attribute. I'm trying to think of defensive guys in my area. I guess you know Lindor kind of stands out. Um, I think really uh, kind of the big issue for me is uh, remembering everybody's name in my area <laughs> as far as defense goes because I'm completely uh, bonking on it right now, even though I'm sitting here trying to think of that for the last uh, few. But my the, see that the thing in the southeast is they just can't get enough pitching, just so much pitching. I mean, I'm trying to think of who the best pitcher is in you know, Tennessee, basically the former Confederacy with the exception of Texas, North Carolina, and Virginia, which is the easy way for me to think of it. And the pitching in that area is just ridiculous between Vanderbilt, Florida's pitching, which is mostly relief arm, but then like uh, Gil Martin, like I said, uh, you know, Guerrero. But, I mean, Jed Bradley. You're trying to think of who is you know, Sonny Gray versus Jed Bradley. You know, trying to find a cross-check, a couple cross-checkers to talk to about that and figure out who they like better. I think I'd rather have Sonny Gray, but I think Jed Bradley might go out before Sonny Gray because when it's all said and done – I know you have a lot of scouts who think Sonny Gray's a reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would really uh, fire up Sonny Gray. And I think Sonny Gray's professional career will be trying to prove all the scouts wrong that he's just a reliever. Yeah. Kind of like, almost like like a college version of Kyle Drabeck. Yeah. I think he'll move quicker. But I think, I think the separating factor 
they're both great makeup. The separating factor for Sonny Gray is the makeup. But I think ultimately the, uh, the separating factor for Jed Bradley is his left-handedness. Yeah. And he was really good against Clemson this weekend. Size. I, mean, I think, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, and then, you know, that's another whole other question. I wonder if eventually um, the fact that there's so many little guys in the big leagues who are pitching well. I mean, like just Tim Lincecum and Roy Oswald jump out to me. And the best pitcher of the major leagues right now for me is Tim Lincecum. I, I, you can have Roy Halladay. I'll take the guy who just put a team on his back and won a World Series and has two Cy Young awards um, and did it quicker. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Roy Halladay was uh, – you know, he was great. Starting in 2002, he's been awesome. That was seven years after he was drafted. You know, we haven't been – it's been seven years, I think, since Tim Lincecum was drafted out of high school. You know, uh, 2004, that's right, I think. Two, well, no, 2003 was right out of high school because he was eligible in 05 as a sophomore, 06 as junior yep. year. So, I mean, like, uh, he's accomplished so much more in eight years out of high school than even than Halliday did. So, I'd take Lincecum, and to me, that helps guys who are shorter right-handers. I think it's going to help Trevor Cole, in the, uh, Trevor Bauer, I mean, in this draft. I think it's going to help a guy like a Sonny Gray. Um, you know, it took Tim Lincecum to not have that changeup. Uh, you know, he really didn't start right. throwing it until he was a junior in college, really. Right. So, now it's his best pitch. <laughs> so, these guys aren't finished products, and uh, – I think that's going to help Sonny Gray's draft stock. But all things being equal, I still think people are going to like Jed Bradley. Uh, Clemson's a good lineup. They're a hot lineup. They won that series against Georgia Tech. And Jed Bradley went in there on a Saturday and threw a complete game. You know, he shut down Brad Miller, who had not been getting shut down by anybody. And uh, he's physical. And he's got, you know, the changeup's not as good this year as it was last year, but people have seen it. And um, he's got a, a, you know above average fastball and, uh, and slider. So, yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting, you know. Uh, I'll have a deep sleeper best tool. This is a fascinating draft story. The last two years in the Southeastern Conference, Nick Rout, a left-hander out of Mississippi State, has been ranked as our top, has been voted best tool, best changeup in the Southeastern Conference. He hasn't even thrown his changeup this year, and the stories on Nick Rout are pretty interesting. He had an owner uh, nerve issue in his left arm, and he basically the story I read in the Starkville Daily News was pretty uh, pretty. Detailed story. Whoever the writer is, kudos to the Starkville Daily News. They did a great job with the story, where Nick Rout talked about pronating, kind of like a changeup. I mean, a screwball changeup. So he's pronating when he throws it with his left arm, and he felt a twinge in his arm. He was like, "Oh, that didn't feel good." Pitching against uh, Florida last year, and he just wanted to grit his way through that inning, and he ended up striking out Austin Maddox on a fastball. But as he's coming off the field, his teammates all patted him on the butt and were like, "Hey, nice changeup." He was like, uh-oh, <laughs> this was not good. <laughs> I don't know if he pulled a Carl Lewis, uh-oh, but he was like, uh-oh, that, <laughs> that was my fastball. I put everything I had into that pitch, and everyone thought it was a changeup. So he's had these. He had surgery on his left arm. He had an ulnar nerve issue. I believe I'm remembering this correctly. Um, but uh, he's pitching back this year, and he's building back up. But according to the scouts I've talked to and other evaluators, he's not throwing the changeup. He's going fastball, breaking ball. And if he is throwing changeups, they're straight changeups. It's different from his old changeup. So that's a deep sleeper where this guy had like a changeup, like a Bugs Bunny changeup with fade and uh, late life, just got to the plate and just died. If this guy ever gets that changeup back, you're talking mm-hmm. about a guy who's got a put away, a swing and miss pitch at the pro level, and he's building up his arm strength. He's, I, if I'm remembering correctly, like 87, 91, you know, it fits in that average left-handed range. He's that wild card in that as in that southeast left-hander, you know. To, again, comparing, you know, Sean Gilmartin's got a really good changeup. It's not as good as Nick Routes, and the velocity's similar. Now the difference is that Gilmartin's cerebral, 
smart pitcher, athletic, makes adjustments. Um, people even liked him last summer. I mean, when Aaron Fitt and I did our, you know, we went to go see Team USA last summer. We did some of the games on TV, and, and Aaron's doing the top 20 at the end of the summer. He was like, man, people like Sean Gilmartin better than we thought. And he was like 86-88, and he just come off the second half last year with Florida State where he just got hammered. But he's made adjustments this year. He's gotten better. The velos ticked up a bit. Hurt some 92s. And the breaking ball is better. So that's a guy who's going to go higher. The industry consensus on him is higher than the B.A. consensus. So yeah. we're trying to catch up to that industry consensus. But, yep. Um, Nick Rout is a nice – he's one of my favorite Southeast sleepers. Um, I'll be very interested to see what happens there. And I'll be shocked if an organization – there's a hit tool in the Southeast that stands out a little bit. And Chad Zercher, the shortstop at Memphis, who uh, the scouts I've talked to who've seen him all say he has no tools, and the college recruiters I've talked to all say he has no tools, but he's hitting 470 with these bats. <laughs> and he's doing it, and he keeps doing it, and he keeps doing it. And at some point, someone's going to say, maybe this is the next David Eckstein, you know, Eckstein, whatever. Maybe this is a David Eckstein type guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think he's Essen Pedroia, another guy who's derided as having no tools, who clearly has tools. Um I don't think he's those, I don't even know that he's a big leaguer, but someone's going to take this guy, and it's probably going to be a team that values performance. Because in a year, in a world where offense is down by fifty percent, someone's going to take this guy that's hitting four freaking seventy. Aren't yep. they? They kind of have to take him, don't they? Yeah. I'll be fascinated to watch what happens. Chad Zercher is one of the most fascinating guys in the draft to me because he has no home runs, but neither does anybody else. I mean. Uh, Matt Skoll's like 6'4", 225, 230. He's got five home runs. Mm-hmm. He had 37 home runs the previous two years. <laughs> and he has left-handed power. He's going to go. but So he has five more home runs than Chad Zercher, but Chad Zercher's hitting 470. I can't wait to see what happens with that guy on draft day. And has people, he reached personal cheese ball level yet? Not yet. I want someone to say that he has tools. But, like, one of the college coaches I talked to said, man, this guy hits more 5.5-hole ground balls and little infield choppers and – Dinks into the outfield. He's like, I refuse to believe you can hit 470 with these bats 100% on luck. But a lot of people are dismissing it. As maybe not luck, mm. but just, boy, this guy's uh, living a charmed life. We'll put it that way. So maybe he's spitting the Mississippi River like uh, <laughs> like Roy Williams does all the time. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Connor. Um, we'll probably do this again next week uh, with a podcast. Connor, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you've seen lately. Let's talk a little bit about Daniel Norris. Uh, and Nikki Delmonico, again, two Southeast players. But you you and uh, Nathan drove out to see them uh, last week. I forget, did you go see Guerrero or just Nathan? I went and saw Guerrero. You, you went to go see yeah. Guerrero as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about – maybe not so much about those players, but how about we talk a little bit about just the concept of heat when we talk about heat in the draft. Uh, we're really talking about how much scouting heat that is. I mean, how many scouts come and see those guys. Now, it sounds like the most scouted game of the year was still the game back in February between – Arlington Country Day and Monte Verde, uh, the Javier Baez, Francisco Lindor, tete-a-tete, where there were either 84 or more than 100 scouts at the game, depending yeah. on who you talk to, <laughs> depending on your sources. Um, how much heat was at the Greary start? And how much was at the uh, Daniel Norris versus the Nicky Delmonico game out in Farragut in Knoxville, Tennessee? Both of them had about, about 50 guys there, and – you know, obviously, there's only 30 teams, so when you're talking about 50 guys, there's a lot of cross-checkers and, and scouting directors there as well. So um, both those were pretty loaded games, you know. And to get to, to get, when you get to these past 30, you're, you're, it's not necessarily that every organization is there, 
But that's, you know, for people who aren't as into the draft process, it really means that's when you're getting cross-checked. So yeah. that, uh, most clubs have area scouts, regional cross-checkers, national cross-checkers, scouting directors. Were there any clubs, uh, you don't have to name the club, but were there clubs that you noticed that some of those games, either of those games that had like three or four guys from a club there? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, I <laughs> I don't know if I believe this or not, but somebody told me that one team had seven guys there to see Dana Norris, including <laughs> some like associate scouts and things like that. Okay. But I don't know if that's true. But, yeah, there were several teams at both games that had – Two or three, two or three guys each. How about general managers? Have you seen a general manager, manager or that kind of thing at a game yet this year? I haven't seen a general. I've seen guys that are higher up than the scouting director, but okay. not like assistant GMs. That yeah, kind of stuff. yeah. But I haven't seen any GMs. I've just you know heard that some have been at games, and Kevin Towers seems to be the one that gets thrown out there the most. Like, oh, I saw Kevin Towers. But I don't think KT hides from it, you know. But that's, in, in my experience, that's, you know, you definitely start to see the GMs start to come out this time of year, April and May. I think some guys see guys in, in April in, in February, early in the year, before the season starts. And I think in March, they're too busy spring training, evaluating their own club, their minor leagues, that kind of stuff. Right. April, I think, the end of April, May, you start to see general managers – who want to get involved, start going out and, and seeing and evaluating guys who are in the pool for their first round pick. Yeah. And those are the kind of guys that GMs I'll get out get evaluate. out and see the you know, the top guys that their club is considering and then they'll see a lot of the other guys when they you know, they bring in players for pre draft workouts. Right, exactly. I think a lot of it depends on the GM's background. Kevin Towers is a scouting director. Yeah, you know, Jack Zarensic was a scouting director. Um, Theo Epstein worked for uh, Kevin Towers. It wouldn't shock me if Theo. I, I you know, I don't know for sure. I'm sure. I, I'm, I, I think that he goes out and sees these guys. I'm pretty sure. I remember reading that. I've never seen him in a game, but, but by the same thing, Mike Rizzo, the Nationals, was a scouting director. If he didn't go out and evaluate the guys, I, I mean, it would be a surprise. Why wouldn't right. you? Yeah, you'd be wasting a, exactly. talent. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you use yourself as a resource? Whereas there are other scouting directors who I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to see out evaluating player. I mean, other general managers, I should say, I wouldn't expect to go out and see player. But like if Frank Wren went out to go see guys for the Braves, it makes sense. Frank's been in the game for a long time. His kids are playing now. His son's having a great freshman year at, uh, at Georgia Tech. Yep. Um, I think most of these guys are going to go out and evaluate players and, yeah. uh, and have a say. But I don't know how much say the GM necessarily has in that number one overall pick or in that first round pick. I think it depends by organization. It depends yeah, by I GM. Yeah, I think it depends. And, you know, a lot of them, <clears throat> you know, hired their – they're scouting directors, and they want to trust those guys, and they, you know, they defer to those guys because they're like, "Look, I- I've seen this guy once. You've been out hitting right. the pavement for the past year. I'm going to defer to you." But it it does help to get, especially with the the money that's being thrown around for these top guys. It obviously helps to get as many sets of eyes on them as possible. Right, especially with the amount of money. Just <laughs> smart thrown yeah. around in there. You gotta. I think you have to. Uh, last, let's talk about some of those players. Let's talk about just the, we talked a little bit about the the heat. Um, how do those guys perform in front of the Heat? Did you know that? Did the Heat have any effect, do you think, on Taylor Guerrero and then in the next game on Nicky Delmonico or Daniel Norris? But now it would seem like Delmonico especially and Norris, to a lesser extent Guerrero, would be used to that amount of attention. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure You know, I'm sure they're used to it. Um, especially, yeah, especially Norris and Delmonico. They spent the whole summer you know, on the showcase circuit. Guerrero less so, but, um, you know, Norris was a, has been a top guy for years coming in, so he's been able to prepare for this. And, and you know, the thing that's going to allow him to be more comfortable in the situation is he's just, 
he's so down to earth. He doesn't have the highs and lows that you you know see from some players. So, you know, when guys say, "Well, it's just another game. I just have to go out there and do my thing," you know, he means that. He he you know was fine. You, you saw him really relaxed before the game. He was wearing Chuck Taylors, which I thought was awesome. Nice uh, taking BP and just that is driving awesome. balls out of the yard. Um, <clears throat> Nicky, of course, you know, with all his brothers and his dad, his background, he's, you know, been able to prepare for this as well and learn from them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Daniel and, and Taylor both pitched really, really well. Uh, Daniel was up to 96 early, settled in. <laughs> kind of toss. <laughs> yeah, he, he did go pole to pole, and that was, <laughs> that was fun to watch. It was actually kind of funny because he, I mean, his team got there at 2, and the game didn't start until 6.30. Well, I guess they are just across town, though, basically, right? Or down the road? How far no, it was like a two-hour drive. For oh, them. wow. Okay. But the, so, so he got there at 2. They took BP at, like, 2. And then they, you know, at, like, 3.30 or something like that, they went out to dinner. And then they came back. And he, had, he, he had so much time to get ready. He long-tossed. And then they went into the bullpen. But then they realized, oh, wait. Game doesn't start for a half hour. So he went and sat in the dugout for a little while and then came out and did his did his bullpen session before the game and there's, you know, about all fifty guys lined up on the fence, you know, five feet from Daniel Norris as he's warming up. And they were waiting too. Probably they were they were there yeah. at two o'clock though, were there? Were there any scouts there at two? There know? were a few scouting directors there at two. Wow. Um but most of them didn't a lot of the scouts didn't start showing up until a little bit later. Um you know, as good of a high school hitter as Daniel Norris is, I don't think they're there to see him hit. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was really good. He was, like I say, he was up to 96, settled into kind of 91, 93, um, and, you know, pitched a really good game. And then Guerrero was also up to 96 and um, just dominated. He showed a really good curveball and pitched well as well. And that was nice to see because, you know, his, his couple starts – leading up to that, the start that we saw, right. weren't as good. So it was nice to see him uh, pitch well in front of Baseball America. Yeah, with the, and Taylor Guerrero, uh, probably about, I don't know, about a pop-up, but he probably had as much helium as most guys this year. So the other guy who's had a ton of helium this year is Daniel Holson. We probably should end with this. I mean, we didn't mention Daniel Holson too prominently in our 1-1 discussion. Do you think Danny Holson's a 1-1 talent? Let's wrap up with where we started. We're talking about college left-handers. He's the top college left-hander on the board, yeah, or is it Jed think, Bradley, or is it Matt Perch? No, I think, it, I think it's Danny Holson, and I think that in many years he could go there, and he, he could even go there this year. It wouldn't, I think he could it go wouldn't there be a shock. It, I think he could go there this year because he's left-handed, <clears throat> and to me, the Pirates strike me as an organization that likes value. That's how Tony Sanchez gets to be the fourth overall pick. They didn't see anybody obvious there. The value of Danny Holson and the fact that Danny Holson, you know he's in a pitch at least 90-92 with a plus changeup and a slider that at times is like low to mid-80s and nasty to plain. I mean, not, not Steve Carlton. That's an 80. But like a 65-70 slider at times. Mm-hmm. It's a plus slider at least. Um but there are other times where this guy's pitching 92-96, Connor, and yep. he's athletic. He hits. He competes. He's been the Friday guy for three years at UVA. Um, I think he's in that mix at number one. He's so too. He's the safest pick out of any of these guys. Him and Jed Bradley are pretty safe picks. That's what sets those two guys apart. They're left-handed. You know they're at least going to be number 
number three starters is the floor. Don't you think? Pretty, if those guys yeah, are healthy. Easy floor. I think. I think it's pretty easy to say that floor. These are guys with three, three pitch lefties with at least two plus pitches. Yep. And feel and physicality and track record polish and left handed for crying out loud. I mean, these guys are. There's nothing to not like about these guys. Yep. So really, the whole question is the ceiling. And I think Holtz has been a little more dominant. Flash that bigger velocity. To me, he—I don't know if he's the dark horse, but he's as much of a candidate to go one number one overall, I think, as anybody. And uh, I think the overall, I think the dra- this draft—we've talked about it being a good draft class. I still think it's not as good as 05, and I don't even think it's as good as 08. In a lot of ways, it resembles 2006, only like 2006 on steroids. 2006 was a year where you had Lincecum, you had Andrew Miller, you had Brad Lincoln was a th- our number three on our draft board. Uh, Daniel Bard, a lot of college pitching in that draft. Max Scherzer. That draft was known for college pitching and Evan Longoria. And I know, I know there are other guys who were in that draft I was forgetting. But at the time, that's who we thought. You know, Jabba Chamberlain was number seven on our board. A lot of college pitching in that draft. Yeah. But then there was a cliff after that college pitching, and there wasn't a lot of other stuff. I think this draft is a lot like that with a much stronger high school class than 06 featured and uh, a lot more college pitching depth. We haven't talked about Matt Barnes at UConn. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of arms in this Youngman. draft. Yeah, exactly, Taylor Youngman. But, I mean, uh, but, but the, a lot of the college hitters have fallen back a little bit. And, uh, you know, outside of, you know, Colton Wong's had a great year. He's got a great swing, got a good, great track record. He's a 5'8" second baseman. Mm-hmm. I mean, who does he comp to in the, pro, in, in the big leagues? Mike Fontenot? Yeah, I'm trying to think of 5'8", five, 5'9", five, second baseman. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be – he's a tough fit. So the guys with the college hitters who are performing, it's going to be hard to shove those guys up. But I think it's a really good draft class. I don't. I think it falls shy of great. Is that what your – I don't know. Is? I think – well, I think there is some, some split on that because I talked to a scouting director just the other day who said, yeah, this is, this is the best draft I can remember – in at least a decade. Hmm. And and then J.J. talked to a, a, another scouting director who said, no, yeah, I, d- I just don't he see saw it. He saw the two who said the, t- the same thing. They don't see it's great. They see very good. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think it's kind of kind of weird in that there are, there's definitely some, some, you know, top guys at the top. Yeah. And then the, the middle is just okay, but th- it extends a, it's a long way. It's a huge middle. Like we talk about Corey, guys like Corey <coughs> Mazzoni or guys like Adam Morgan – or Grayson Garvin, yeah. uh, left-handers with some arm strength, and uh, you know, especially Morgan flashes at three pitches. There's a lot of those guys. Yeah. So that middle extends into the five, six, seven round range, as opposed to the third or fourth. Yeah, round. I mean, right now, you know, you and I are working on putting together our list of top six round guys for the magazine for our top 200 issue that's coming out. You know, the next issue, and I'm looking at some of these guys, and I'm slotting into the fifth, sixth round range, and I'm going, these guys are good. Yeah, these guys exactly. are really good. These guys are. You know, probably second, third round talents in a lot of years, and and I just have to put them down here because I can't put everybody up in the second round. Yeah, just just numbers. Yeah, num- and it's a good thing it's a deep draft because there's two teams that have a billion picks. <laughs> That's the other thing that we keep on hearing is that I think there's going to be some draft reform, but I think the most of reform of that draft is going to be the compensation as opposed to anything else. So yeah. let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast uh, before we lose it, Connor. Thanks for taking the time. We'll go back to the calls and report more draft news for you at BaseballAmerica.com. For Connor Glassy, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the BA Podcast. So long, everybody. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.